Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and again, we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God. And uh, again, we'll be going through Exodus. We've gotten through Exodus 9 now, and uh, most of those recordings are up. All the, the notes are up on those first few chapters of Exodus. And uh, we're about ready to go into Exodus 10, take a look at was Moses really preparing the people for in this process of extricating them from the bondage of Egypt? One of the things that we need to realize that the bondage of Egypt began when the uh, sons of Jacob went into bondage in Egypt along with all the people who lived in Egypt at that particular time except for the priests of Egypt. Everybody went into this bondage, and this bondage was one-fifth, 20% of their labor was going to belong to the government of Egypt. It belonged to them. They had the right to that 20% of the labor of the people who lived in Egypt. And that included at that time what became Israel. And that was the beginning of the bondage of Egypt. It was not rigorous at first, but it was still, they were now in bondage. They did not own all their labor. There was a cap, there was a ceiling cap on that bondage. And that ceiling cap was 20% of their labor. It was kind of a flat tax. I heard Ben Shapiro talking about what we need is a flat tax. What we need is to be released from captivity. <laughs> because that's where God wants us to be. He did not want us to go back to the bondage of Egypt and have a flat tax on our labor. Where we owed a portion of our labor to the government in order to provide a social safety net. Because that's what Egypt was during the famine. The Israelites and a lot of the Egyptians and a lot of the people that lived around about Egypt at that time ran out of provisions because there was climate change. (laughs) And that climate change led to famines. And those famines led to starvation. If it wasn't for the Pharaoh... Well, they put up all these extra resources to redistribute to the people. The people would have starved. Now, eventually, the things they had to trade for, you know, the gold and the silver that they had in their own purses that they had accumulated as mobile wealth and even their lands and uh, their livestock and all these things that were evidence of wealth. The accumulation of wealth, because, see, they lived in a capitalist society. If you produced lambs, they belonged to you. If you sold those lambs and got gold and silver, it belonged to you. That's capitalism. Capitalism is you have control 
of your means of production, which is your labor. And that's capitalism. If you don't have control, 100% control of the means of your production, which is your labor, if you don't own all your labor, you're not entirely in capitalism. You may be in some simulation of capitalism, but you're not really a capitalist. A capitalist owns his labor so that he can, you know, go get a job and sell that labor for a value, something of value. Or you could start your own business. And everything you produced in your business after you paid the people, you know, you might have to buy some goods from other people. Uh, you might have to hire somebody to help you run your business. You pay them and and you pay the, the people that you have purchased goods from. Everything you produce, that's yours. That's capitalism. That's what capitalism is. It's control of the means of production. Socialism is a collective control of the means of production, which means your labor now belongs to the collective. doesn't belong to you entirely anymore. Maybe some of it does, and of course we saw that back in Genesis when they went into bondage. 20% of their labor belonged to the government, but 80% of their labor belonged to them. They could keep the produce from that, and that was the ceiling limit. That was the cap. Just before the program began, this particular broadcast, we heard on the news that Oregon Legislature had voted to look at the question of Eastern Oregon, which is where we happen to be right now. I'm sitting in Eastern Oregon as a geographical location. They will start to have talks about separating from Western Oregon and joining Idaho. And they're going to, somehow or other, they think life will be better. Well, that's kind of like the Israelites saying, we don't want to be a part of Western Egypt anymore. We want to be a part of Eastern Egypt. We don't want to come out of captivity. We just want to be a part of another (laughs) group of people in captivity. Because we don't like the way that captivity is operating. Of course, now, that's one of the problems that Moses had, is the people didn't want to listen to Moses. Moses said, we're going to get out of this entirely. We're going to go out to the desert and sacrifice. We're not going to sacrifice to eastern uh, Egypt or western Egypt. Uh, we're going to sacrifice to God. We're going to actually be released from our captivity. Our labor is now going to belong to us. And we're going to have to learn to live in a free society. Now, that would be an interesting concept for all the people who think that their life will be better off connected to Idaho rather than connected to Salem, Oregon. Uh, because they should have that conversation. What would it be... If we just weren't in captivity at all, (laughs) is that an option? Can we put that on the table? Well, actually, that is on the table. That's always been on the table. But you don't have a Moses to go to talk to the governor of Oregon or the president of the United States and say, let my people go. Because, see, what a lot of people don't want to realize is that 
they're all back in the captivity of Egypt. They're back, they're all back, everybody in the United States, everybody in Australia, everybody in New Zealand, everybody in Netherlands, everybody in England, everybody in Switzerland, everybody in Sweden. Generally speaking, I'm saying everybody, the vast majority of all the citizens of those different nations, including Israel, are all back in the bondage of Egypt. They all have a graduated income tax. And most all of them go way above 20% in what they pay. Now, they don't want to admit that. And if Moses came, like I'm coming to you right now over the airways uh, on the radio station and eventually podcasts, you'll hear the same message. You're all back in the bondage of Egypt. And whatever burdens you're feeling in that bondage of Egypt, uh, whatever rigor they're forcing you to serve with, that's, that's the same thing that the Israelites were experiencing in Egypt. And if you look at economic elements of our society, I mean, they're raising the debt ceiling. We, we have inflation growing and growing in this country. Things are costing more and more. There's a supply chain problem, uh, which is all these things. You know, Elon Musk was predicting that, uh, that we were headed for a recession in 2023. And he thought it would only last to 2024. But then again, they were only going to shut down the country for two weeks to slow the spread. <laughs> and it ended up being two years. And we still haven't recovered from that great idea. So what's next? I I don't know. I've, my estimation is that uh, it's going to get worse. Whatever. However, it just it does not look good. And it does not look good to me because I look at the people. In the same way, you know, Moses came to the mess- give this message to the Israelites and to tell them that, you know, that God wanted them to come out to the desert and serve him instead of serve the government of Pharaoh. Because they were serving the government of Pharaoh at that time. They were literally, and we, we've seen that and we're going to see it some more, they were worshipping Pharaoh. They were worshipping, they, they the people who were making laws in Egypt for them, deciding what was good and evil for them in Egypt, the gods of Egypt were their gods. Now, they, they didn't even really have a name for this god of creation. Although, to be fair, Egypt had a god of creation. And then, you know, the, the, these gods, they descended and became more corrupted. I mean, the original laws, the Ma'arats in Egypt, were very close to the Ten Commandments. There were over 60 of them. But instead of just saying, thou shalt not steal, they said, thou shalt not steal your neighbor's goat, thou shalt not steal your neighbor's ass, thou shalt not steal your neighbor's stuff, whatever. And so it got up to a large number. Moses just kind of summarized it into, thou shalt not steal. But he also added, or God added, thou shalt not covet. You can't even want your neighbor's stuff. 
You can't even desire your neighbor's stuff. You cannot even create an institution where you can benefit from your neighbor's stuff without your neighbor choosing to give his stuff to you in one form or another. In other words, there was still taxes in the kingdom of God, but they were voluntary taxes. They were still going to contribute a sacrifice to help the needy of society, to create that social safety net that that lady debating with uh, Ben Shapiro was saying that we needed this social safety net. And the social safety net they thought they needed was a legal charity social safety net. It was a social safety net provided by the government. Despite the fact that Madison said there was no place under the Constitution of the United States for a social safety net based on legislation whether it's the legislation of Oregon or the legislation of Idaho or the legislation of in Washington, D.C. There was no place for legal charity in the United States, according to Madison. That's what he said. I, I added that quote. I have it in a few places on, on our websites at Preparing You, and I think I added it if you look up Masses. You can probably find it. It's probably also in our article under Legal Charity. So you can see what Madison had to say with this idea of a social safety net based on men who exercise authority one over the other. He thought that was a bad idea. Of course, we know anybody who is a Christian professing Christ knows the idea of going to men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority one over the other to obtain the benefits that that man of authority offers. Any, anybody who's a Christian knows we can't be that way. If we are that way, we are not following Christ. We are not doing what Christ said. We are not accepting the doctrines of Christ. Because Christ said so. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we see it. It's right there in the text. But somehow, there's a large number of people who call themselves Christians who think it's absolutely okay to covet their neighbor's goods, things that belong to their neighbor, things that their neighbor produced with the sweat of his brow. With the beat of his heart. We think that it's okay to desire those things for our personal benefit. And we can go to men who exercise authority. To the rulers of the nations. And say, will you go to my neighbor's house and take stuff away from my neighbor so that I can have more free stuff? Now... If you're following that, you realize, well, wait a minute, that's what we all do. (laughs) Christians do it, Jews do it, Muslims do it, Buddhists do it. And, of course, that's a covetous practice, to desire benefits, a social safety net, at the expense of your neighbor. Ben Shapiro, he's an Orthodox Jew, he's a, he's a, uh, a Pharisee. 
And now, of course, people, Christians, you say Pharisee, that's a bad thing. No, that's just someone has a particular interpretation of the scriptures. And, and of course, there, there must be all kinds of Pharisees because Paul was the Pharisee of Pharisees. He, he, he was very Pharisaical. But he became a Christian because he saw, wait a minute, I got something wrong. I studied this and studied this and studied this. But I still got something wrong. And Christ got it right. And he figured it out. He didn't figure it out because he was eating from the tree of knowledge. He had been doing that all his life and he couldn't figure it out. It's when he finally began to eat of the tree of life. And through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he began to realize, I got it wrong. And was willing to admit that he got it wrong. Of course, he had to get knocked down off his high horse (laughs) in order to realize that. And a lot of you are going to get knocked down off of your high horses as well. Which is back to what I think is coming. That we're going to get knocked off our high horse. But you can listen to these broadcasts of Keys of the Kingdom and we will show you that you're back in the bondage of Egypt and your idea of a social safety net through men who exercise authority... And, and it's funny because Ben Shapiro, he's got to have read Proverbs. If you sit and eat with a ruler, that's those men who exercise authority to obtain your social safety net. You're supposed to put a knife to your throat because <laughs> he serves you deceitful dainties. Deceitful meats. His dainties, his benefits are going to return you to the bondage of Egypt. Of course, Plutarch said this, Polybius said this, Plato said this, James Madison said this. They all knew that. It's just the modern people don't know that because they've been traumatized. They've been traumatized by their parents, by their churches, by their philosophers, by their college professors. I mean, it's getting worse and worse. But almost always when things are getting worse and worse, they're also getting better and better. It's just on, it depends on what part of the equation you want to be in. Because some of you it's getting worse and worse and some of you it may be getting better and better. But that's what seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness is all about. So Moses has this difficult task and the plagues are going to help him in that task. We've already seen some of those plagues and now we're going to go into Exodus 10 and we're going to see some more of those plagues. And we're going to see how it alters the thinking of the the servants of Pharaoh. It alters the thinking of the Israelites. They're starting to say, hey, I, I, I want to go with this guy Moses. Even some of the Egyptians, quite a few of the Egyptians are saying, I, I want to go with this Moses. He's got a different idea. They don't fully know yet what that idea is. But it's how you set the captives free. And what he is teaching the people through these plagues, or what God is teaching them through the plagues, if they let God write upon their hearts and their minds. Because we see the stubbornness too. We see the stubbornness generally represented by Pharaoh, who supposedly has this hardened heart. 
and actually in listening to Jordan Peterson's uh, symposium of uh, scholars, including Dennis Prager, one of the scholars asked uh, uh, about a particular quote, and, they, and he said when they were reading, I think they were in chapter 11 or maybe chapter 12, he asked, uh, well, is that the same word that we see hardened the heart that you were talking about, which was what we see, the same word that we see in honor thy father and thy mother? Does that mean the same thing? And that is that the same word? And he said, yes. And it's not. <laughs> Which is why I've colorized it at preparing you so that you can see when they're using that word that is translated hardened and when they're using the other word that's kabed and chizek and there's actually a third one that they translate hardened. And so I have them all different colors. Blue and uh, red and green, I think it is. So that you can see what word is there. Will you understand the kingdom of God if you if I do that? Probably not. I I'm just showing you bits and pieces of the puzzle. They're all out there. They've been out there in front of you all the time. But in order to get the people out of the bondage of Egypt, they had to stop receiving the benefits because that's the addiction. They're addicted to the bondage of Egypt because they're addicted to the benefits of Egypt. So when Mo, uh, when Pharaoh said no more benefits for the Israelites, no more straw for the Israelites, he was actually doing God's purpose. He was serving God's plan. Because by cutting them off from those benefits that they were not giving up willingly, but by cutting, it forced them to work together to find straw for the rest of their community. It brought the community together because they began to work on taking care of one another without Pharaoh. Whether he is in Idaho or Oregon or Washington, D.C. or I don't know where all the other capitals are. <laughs> and, uh, you know, London or, or Ontario or wherever. Either you're moving towards seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness or you're backsliding farther and farther into bondage. And it's all about direction. And so that's what we're going to discuss as we go into Exodus 10. But we're going to take a break and we'll be right back. Welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. And uh, we're going to be looking at this Exodus 10. And I, I gave you that little prelude. But if you want to go back and read it, if you're new to the broadcast, and you want to go back and, and see how we got up to this point, you can go back and uh, at Preparing You. We have the recordings of the earlier shows that we did uh, in Exodus 1 and 2 and 3. And you can go back there and take a look at that. Uh, we're constantly improving these things. We go back and uh, when questions come up on the network or in real life, I have several letters that uh, I've received this week that people want me to read and respond to like I've got all that kind of time. And uh, 
just not going to work that way because I only have so much time to in a day. <laughs> There's so many hours in a day. I will probably read those letters. What I was actually going to do is save them and read them this afternoon and probably in the afternoon program I may address some of the. I, I glanced at them to see if there's anything monumental or important in, in those letters to see if I needed to respond right away. And, of course, it, it's interesting that people, they they present these questions and it's almost always uh, concerning some sort of doctrinal question as to whether, you know, is it this way? You know, do we do Sabbath this way? Do we do, you know, what does this mean? What does this scripture mean? But the fundamental of the of the scriptures, whether you're reading the Old Testament or the New Testament, is really basic. Do you love your neighbor as yourself? Because if your coveting is good and sending men who have guns to your neighbor's house to force your neighbor to contribute to your welfare, you don't love your neighbor. I don't care how emotional you feel sitting in your pew at church about, oh, I really do care about my neighbors. You know, I I, I really do want to help them. But uh, I, I do like this free stuff. <laughs> this free stuff. I, I mean, I can't turn that down. I, I gotta go and, and get this free stuff. But no. No, actually, you really don't need to go and get all this free stuff. <laughs> you shouldn't be going and getting all this free stuff, uh, that you think you need or that you think you want. Or that you desire uh, at the expense of your neighbor. That is that is not love, and uh, that is not right, and that is not what you should be doing according to Christ and according to Moses. But it is what everybody is doing, and they need to repent of that, and they need to turn around and go the other way, and that's what Moses is trying to say. And if you do turn around and go the other way, Christ will set the captive free. But if you don't, then you will go into the pit, into the damnation. And we're warned in the New Testament, the whole world would be deceived. And and that they, they might take this mark of the beast that you have to have, which is really the badge of the beast, the karagma of the beast that will show, be evidence that you're back in the bondage of Egypt. That you're back subject to that beast nature of mankind who is absolutely content, like we see with Cain, to hit his brother in the head or sell him into bondage or to extract from him his sweat and toil and blood for his benefit. You see, the beast is the beast in you. If you want to tame the beast in you, you're going to need Christ. The real Christ, not the made-up Christ. Because I can actually, I went over this actually this weekend, or this during this week, where I was... For a number of reasons, I was drawn to this idea. When did people get this idea 
and, and it actually started with the creeds that they they started inventing and writing in the Constantinian church. And the doctrines that they started putting together in the Constantinian churches. And, uh, you know, in reading farther into the the history of the early church and the Constantinian church and what was getting people into trouble, and, and there was a couple of bishops at different times got into trouble because they were interfering or they were being biased in the redistribution of the grain from big grain silos that were in different cities like Constantinople, etc. In the redistribution of grain, some of these bishops were Constantinian bishops, clearly. They came out of the church established by Constantine. He didn't really legalize the Christian church. Christ legalized the Christian church. And, and that's very clear. Even Rome was defending the Christian church from the Jews. Now, Rome, as it became more corrupt, it, it stopped defending it. But later on, even before Constantine, there were Roman courts that were deciding in favor of Christians in favor of the Christian church and restoring property that they had confiscated under other emperors. They had confiscated church property and they didn't have a right to confiscate that church property because Jesus had already legalized the church and the church was a legal religion. Independent of the statutes of the Roman Senate or the executive orders of the Roman emperors or the president of Rome. The the church was independent of that legally. Now, they broke their own law. And, of course, that's what we're going to see here with Pharaoh. He's going to break his own law and bring upon him destruction. Bring upon himself destruction. And destruction upon the people that follow him. That have have a thought that the Pharaoh was their salvation. And Americans have that same choice today. I know Australia has the same choice today. New Zealand has the same choice today. Uh, Great Britain has the same choice today. But if they would actually see the doctrines of Christ instead of the doctrines of these false churches... Like I said, these bishops who were in charge of the grain distributions in the city of Constantinople and they were actually exiled by the emperor because they were not distributing the bread evenly and honestly, rightly, dividing the bread from house to house as we see with the early church. Because they were requiring that all these new Constantinian converted Christians, these new Christian, uh, Constantinian Christians did not all have the same doctrine and they were imposing their doctrine, imposing their creeds upon these new instant Christians. These new instant Christians at Milan and Constantinople who did not repent and get baptized, they just got baptized. 
So understanding what repentance is, is the changing of the mind, and how that changes the mind is really very simple. It's really very simple. And this is what all this hoopla with Moses and Aaron and Pharaoh is trying to impart this very simple concept to the people. But they, you know, like I always told my kids, you can learn this easy or hard. (laughs) And evidently, both the Israelites and the Pharaoh and even the Egyptians and certainly the servants of the Egyptians are all deciding to learn it the hard way. Now, there are some that are are following Moses right along and doing what Moses said. Aaron's doing what Moses said. I guess Miriam is doing what Moses said. They will have their conflict in the future. But they're doing what Moses said. They're following the lead of Moses, who is following the lead of God. Because we constantly saw how Moses would go back and, and talk to the Lord to find out you know, this is what I did. This is what happened. And so what? what's next? He wants the, he wants the guidance of the Lord. I didn't run back out to the desert to the burning bush. But somehow that he was communicating with the Lord. And I finally got to a point in, it was actually a fascinating point in the recordings with, with uh, Jordan Peterson and, and his scholars. And they got to the point where they talked about this thing in the frontal, between the eyes. And Dennis Prager offers an explanation. And we will get to that when we get to that part. But this is how Moses goes back and talks to God. But Dennis gave a typical pharisaical answer and missed the whole point. In his answer. Now I, I think he sees some things. I'm starting watching him in this conversation. I, I see more clearly what he's missing. But it's what we're all missing. What we've all been missing for generations now. You know. And, and what was missing in those creeds. That were invented by the Constantinian church. Those doctrinal statements. That are in almost every church today. They're all missing it. Uh, they're certainly missing it in their practice because they're all engaged in the covetous practices of desiring to take away from their neighbor by men who exercise authority. I mean, where don't you see that in the world? Like I said, maybe a few Amish communities, you'll see examples of it, but then they got other problems. But this idea of coveting your neighbor's goods through men who exercise authority, the eating the dainties, and this is this is we're going to see this exemplified in in the Passover because they have a certain word there where they talk about well it's translated person in some versions but in the King James it's translated souls the souls that sit down to eat but guess what they add an extra letter to that word <laughs> can you guess what letter that is all those who sit down to eat have this are identified with this extra letter in this word for soul or person and of course it's the letter Tov they're sitting down in faith because what they're going to eat is based on free will offerings and sharing 
And that's where, that's where we have to go. Otherwise, death is not going to pass us over. And otherwise, we are going to find ourselves like foolish virgins. Or even if we are let in, they will bind us up because we don't have the wedding garments on. That only come through faith, hope, and charity. That's it. That is how you weave the wedding garments through faith, hope, and charity. Most Christians are not living by faith, hope, and charity. They're living by legal charity, which is not free will offerings, not free charity, not capitalism, not the charity needed to make capitalism work. It is really interesting who can get this and who can't get this. And it's, it's very interesting that all this is centered around families and families coming together. And you look out in society today, uh, and I see that families are just breaking down left and right. Women and men can't stay together for any length of time. They, they destroy their relationship in a very short period of time. And, and it's always complicated because of the fact when you have two people, you have two people that can destroy the relationship. Either one of them can do it. Even if you did everything right, the other one could still destroy the relationship. But I, I very seldom find anybody who where one is doing everything right and the other one is destroying the relationship. It, it becomes very difficult for the one to destroy the relationship if one is doing everything right. But I haven't found anybody where everybody's doing everything right. I don't do everything right. And certainly when Moses leaves with these people, they're not all doing everything right either. But it's about direction. So let's take a look at 10 before we get too far along here. The eighth plague is locusts. And locusts are not always the insect locust in the Bible. But here it seems to be the insect locust in the Bible. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go in unto Pharaoh, for I have hardened Kebed, that's the word he uses there, his heart, and the heart of his servants, that I might show these my signs before him. And again, that word Kebed is is this uh, idea of uh you know it's greater gr- grievous it's stronger it's heavier it's uh it is actually the same letters that we see in honor thy father and thy mother when it's, it talks about honoring because it has to do with making them heavy making them fatting fattening them uh fattening them up that's what the, the word comes from but We know that he's hardening his heart by what he's telling Moses to say. He's not actually taking away his free agency. Uh, We're seeing that the Pharaoh's heart is hardened by his reaction to what Moses is saying. And we see what the way in which Moses addresses the Pharaoh changes as we get deeper and deeper into these series of plagues. Their relationship, you know, first Moses comes in and then Pharaoh walks away from him and then then Pharaoh summons Moses and says, you know, come back. And then we'll finally see that that Moses, out of, uh, Pharaoh out of his own mouth says that, you know, get away from me. If I see you again, you will die. And, of course, with that statement, that 
hate speech, <laughs> we can put that in there, that hate speech, he condemns himself. He condemns his own family. Because if if your children die, you're going to die. Anyway, we're all going to face death. But when your children die, your whole life is dead. It does not continue into the future. This idea of coming together, man and woman, producing children, this is a part of the natural plan. It's a a part of what it means to be fruitful. You will not be fruitful as a society if you're in the business of taking away from your neighbor and... uh, Destroying what was his for your sake. That, that is not going to solve your, your life problems and, and the problems that you will face in your life. It will take them away from you. It will take life away from you. Verse 2, and that thou mayest tell in the ears of thy son and thy son's sons what things I have wrought in Egypt and my signs which I have done amongst them that ye may know how that I am the Lord. So this is why we're going through this is to pass this information on to the next generation. But there's more here than the surface events. There's a spiritual reckoning that is coming on in the souls and in the hearts and in the minds of the people. Certainly Pharaoh, certainly the the servants of Pharaoh, certainly Aaron is seeing these things, certainly the Israelites are seeing these things, the Egyptians are seeing these things, and they're facing death. People are dying. People are suffering. And their whole world is being shaken up. And they're going to have to take a look at what they thought was of value and find out what is really of value. Well, all the Israelites are finding out uh, Moses is a pretty valuable asset. Listening to Moses is a pretty valuable asset. He's not making water come out of rocks or anything like that. But he's telling you, you know, uh, this is what's going to happen. This is what you have to do. <laughs> uh, we don't see all that conversation going on. But certainly, somehow or other, the Hebrews are being spared. Many of these plagues. And Egyptians are noting that. And, and Moses is giving people choices. Like, you can leave your animals in the field, or you can get them out of the field. Uh, you you can stay in indoors or you can get out of doors, and of course we're going to see eventually that you have to you have to stay not only indoors but you have to do it sharing a meal with others. So we got this new plague, and Moses and Aaron came in unto Pharaoh and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord God of the Hebrews, How long wilt thou refuse to humble thyself before me? Let my people go, and they that they may serve me, serve God, instead of 
Pharaoh. Because right now they're serving Pharaoh, just like everybody in Oregon serves the governor of Oregon and the legislature of Oregon and their next-door neighbor. And and unfortunately, they're cursing their children with debt with all across the United States. Uh, they're, your congressmen, your representatives supposedly are going to go down and they're going to raise the debt ceiling for you and for your children to come. They're not going to balance the budget. There was actually a prime minister in Australia who balanced the budget of Australia, the, the governmental budget of Australia. They didn't balance everything in, in, you know, but that's a start. They still had a Federal Reserve system. They still had a system, a social safety net of legal charity, all of which are destroying the society. But at least he balanced the governmental budget. And actually had a surplus in their treasury. And then there was actually a, a dearth in Australia. <laughs> and they were better able to handle it because of that. But now they're all back into debt again. And uh, well, I won't go there. But I know a lot of stuff that's going on behind the scenes in government. Because I know people in government. There are people who want to see that happen again in America. I, I doubt that will happen. In America, it may help happen in certain local areas in America, but overall in America, it will not happen. But what you will see is that the American government is going to come to your aid less and less. You're not going to get straw from Pharaoh, in other words. And things are going to get harder and harder and harder for a variety of reasons. And so, you know, you think, well, I got this COVID thing figured out. I got this vaccination thing figured out. Yeah, but what's next? Have you got that figured out? The fact is, you're still in the bondage of Egypt. And you don't know how to go to the Lord and find out what to do next, like Moses did. Neither do most of the people of Israel. They need Moses. But the goal is to get most of the people of Israel actually going to the Lord too. That's what Christ was doing. Christ did not want to start a church that you belonged to. Two, he wanted you to belong to God. He wanted you to be free souls under God. So, Moses is putting it to Pharaoh that he, the reason he's having all this trouble is he refuses to humble himself. And because he refuses to humble himself, his heart gets harder and harder and harder. But that's part of the deal. Why that particular Pharaoh was in place at that time, that's all part You know, we think we're in control, we're not. Something else is in control. Verse 4, Else if thou refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow will I bring the locusts into thy coast, into thy land. And they shall cover the face of the earth, that one cannot be able to see the earth, and they shall eat the residue of that which is escaped, which remaineth unto you from the hail, and shall eat every tree which groweth for you out of the field. So that doesn't sound good. And he's giving you the heads up. We'll be right back to Keys of the Kingdom. Welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So, 
We're looking at this plague of locusts that is coming. We see that Moses tells Pharaoh that uh, this is coming. And it's coming because you won't humble your heart. It's coming because you won't do, you won't listen to the God of creation. Uh, you, you, you are arrogant and foolish. And uh, so this is coming because of your choices. You, you, once you choose not to humble your heart, the inevitable is destruction. We see him go on. We saw that these locusts are going to just cover the ground everywhere. You, you won't even be able to walk. They'll eat from every tree, every every uh, piece of uh, flora that is around is going to suffer at these grasshoppers. I remember my grandmother who was in North Dakota during the grasshopper plagues uh, during the Depression, and she always would tell me, she says, I counted 19 gra- grasshoppers on a single sh- stalk of wheat. <laughs> so that's a, lot of, that's a lot of grasshoppers. But um, so it's... But this is going to be like they've never seen before. As we see in verse 6, And they shall fill thy houses and the houses of all thy servants and the houses of all the Egyptians, which neither thy fathers nor thy father's fathers have seen since the day that they were upon the earth unto this day. And he turned himself and went out from the Pharaoh. So he turned his back on the Pharaoh and went out. He'd warned the Pharaoh. That's part of the message, to warn the Pharaoh. But this whole story is to warn us and our sons and our sons' sons. That if we don't humble our heart and listen to the Lord, and maybe even sometimes listen to the, until we can hear the Lord clearly. We may have to listen to the prophets of the Lord. One of the things we're going to see is that the people are going to be required to gather together on a regular basis. The Passover is the first of that real gathering in a, a distinctive, distinctively organized way. But the reality is they've had to start working together in order to make bricks without straw and to fill their water vases during the time when all the other water was turning to blood. In Philos, you see them talking about this. And these water vases are still being made today where they make them out of clay. You put water in them that has bacteria. It could have cholera. could have all kinds of uh, parasites in it. You put water in and the water will drip out into another container and it will be clean and fit to drink. I mean, it's like what we call today a Berkey water filter. There's a lot of them out there. And they knew how to make them then. They know how to make them today so that you can, when the water gets, so it's almost toxic because it's filled with all kinds of stuff like the red tide, the blood that we see in the water that's killing all the fish, which also makes the water not desirous to drink that they were able to produce water for the Israelites. And they were actually, according to these other writings, they were actually filling water and giving it out to Egyptians round about them. The ones that they had a relationship with because they had to depend upon them to find the straw. Because, I mean, they were probably producing some straw themselves, but they needed more in order to produce all the bricks that they were making. 
and the Pharaoh wasn't going to supply it. They had to go and get it themselves. Part of that rigor. Well, now, if we're following that same path in history, what are we? Are we going to have to go out and get straw? <laughs> well, uh, we may have to go out and take care of one another. We may have to provide for one another. You know, I, I must have... I read this story at Epoch Times where they're talking about vaccinating livestock with the new with a new mRNA vaccination because cows get coronavirus. That's one of the, the things why social distancing to slow the spread is not going to work for very long because the coronaviruses can get into other animals. Uh, cats can carry it, dogs can carry it. It's a you know, how are you going to keep it away? <laughs> say, well, I don't want to have anybody over, but I'm going to cuddle over here with, uh, you know, Frisky here. Uh, well, Frisky could have got it. Uh, I mean, he's going out there <laughs> getting exposed over your dog's social distancing. So the reality is the, the, the salvation from from most viruses is the fact that you have a good immune system. And cattlemen... You know, when you sell cattle and they go to a feedlot, uh, you're always bringing in these coronaviruses, but the cattle have, there's no time to vaccinate for them, so the cattle, the cattle just get over it. They, they get robust immune systems, and if you keep them fed properly and healthily, they, they will survive this exposure to all these other, uh, bacterias and viruses that are spread amongst cattle. And the reality is, is the immunity that your cattle naturally get can pass on some elements of that immunity to you. Now, we, that's where the first vaccine came from. Smallpox. Milkmaids didn't get smallpox. Why? Because they had gotten immunity from the cows that had a similar virus called cowpox. And that imparted to them the immunity. You didn't all have to go get vaccinated. You all had to go to the farm and milk a cow. <laughs> then you wouldn't have got smallpox. Because milkmaids didn't get smallpox. Isn't that amazing? That's how they figured it out. Well, they didn't figure it out. They figured out how to make money out. <laughs> so, anyway. Uh, there... God has provided a way, but we don't go back to God and his way. We go to men like Pharaoh and pharmaceutical industries to find our salvation. And it usually gets us into more and more trouble. So anyway, when they had, Epoch Times wrote about that, I had all kinds of people all over the country sending me deals saying, Hey. You know, did you see this? Did you see this? <laughs> that they're going to be vaccinating cows. Uh, and then, so now when you go buy your meat, you don't know if you're going to be eating mRNA hamburger or not. You don't know what you're getting. And you have to remember it was the spike protein that was causing most of the problems. And the spike protein didn't have to be connected to a virus to cause the problem. As a matter of fact, a great deal of the people who got ill eight days after they started to recover and they got sick again, usually with a respiratory problem, as if they had like a peanut allergy or something. That was the spike protein. Uh, as the viruses broke down and this, the spike protein existed in your blood system for a while, it was causing all kinds of damage. So anyway, the point is, is that 
you, your protection is that you're going to have to start doing things the way God said to do it and not the way some minister said to do it or some false prophet said to do it, but actually start doing it the way God said to do it. And eventually we'll get to this, find out what this thing in the frontlet is and what that's all about so that you can actually start seeking the kingdom of God and that what God wants you to do particularly rather than depend upon other people to tell you what to think and what to do. You'll actually have access to God himself. But anyway, so we got these locusts coming, going to fill the house of the Pharaoh because he didn't humble his heart, because he didn't do what God wanted to do. And this is the same thing. This self-destruction is taking place with our sons and our sons' sons, generation after generation, because we don't learn the basic lessons. We actually have people who don't even believe that there is a God, that there is a, a singularity, that there is a uniformity to creation that comes from some source that makes the law of nature, the same everywhere. You know, you don't have a a different law of nature in Australia than you do in the United States. You don't have a different law of nature in Idaho than you do in Oregon. Uh, you're, you're not going to get away from the burdens that are upon you by jumping from frying pans into fire or from the fire into frying pans. You're still on the menu. You're still in captivity. And if you want to survive outside of captivity, you're going to need the wisdom of God written on your heart and on your mind. And so this is part of the process that we're dealing with. Otherwise, whatever relations you're in will be self-destructive. And you will not only destroy your relationships, you will destroy the relationships of your sons and your sons' sons. This is why you have to learn the lessons that Moses and Jesus Christ were trying to tell the people. And it's more than what we see on the surface. It's not the locust on the ground. It's the locust in our heart. What is the locust? They come to eat and destroy. If you come to eat your neighbor and to covet your neighbor's goods, you bring the spirit of destruction. So in verse 7, And the Pharaoh's servants said unto him, How long shall this man be a snare unto us? Let the man go, that they may serve the Lord their God. Knowest thou not yet that Egypt is destroyed? Well, evidently he didn't. (laughs) He didn't know it. But we see some of the people, some of the servants of Pharaoh, saying that, we need to look at this different. We need to, and, and we'll look at one of those servants and what he wrote uh, later in the show. And Moses and Aaron, in verse 8, were brought again unto Pharaoh. So they're brought now. They went in. Now they're brought in. And he said unto them, Go and serve the Lord your God. But who are they that shall go? And Moses said, We will go with our young and with our old, with our sons and with our daughters, with our flocks and with our herds, will we go, for we must hold a feast unto the Lord. And he said unto them, Let the Lord be so with you, as I will let you go, and your little ones look to it, for evil is before you. 
So this is slipped in there. They're saying what has to go. But in verse 11 it says, Not so. Go now ye that are men and serve the Lord. For that ye did desire and they were driven out of the Pharaoh's presence. So he he shifted there where he says just the men can go. Not, not your young ones. Not your children. Just the men. And the Lord said unto Moses, Stretch out thine hand over the land of the Egypt for the locust, that they may come up upon the land of Egypt and eat every herb of the land, even all that the hail has left behind. So it's going to get worse. Verse 13, And Moses stretched out his rod over the land of Egypt, and the Lord brought on east wind and east wind, upon the land and all that day and all that night and when it was morning the east wind brought the locust and the locust went up over all the land of Egypt and rested in all the coast of Egypt very grievous and that word grievous is that same word kabed that we see as often hardened in other words this is a very abundant amount of locusts were they before them there were no such locusts as they, neither after them shall be such. So this is the worst locust plague they have ever seen or will ever see. Verse 15, For they covered the face of the whole earth, so that the land was darkened, and they did eat every herb of the land and all the fruit of the trees which the hail had left, and there remained not any green thing in the trees or in the herbs of the field through all the land of Egypt. So verse 16, Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron in haste, and and he said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. So they sent, he's, he's now sending for, called Moses and Aaron to come to him. So, you know, sometimes he brings them in, sometimes they come on their own, but now he's calling them and he's kind of distraught because this is, I mean, the skies are literally darkened. They're everywhere. It's just like the whole world is falling apart. You're not seeing what you used to see. You're seeing something different. Now, therefore, forgive, I pray thee, my sin only this once, and entreat the Lord your God that he may take away from me this death only. And he went out from the Pharaoh and entreated the Lord. And the Lord turned a mighty strong west wind which took away the locust and cast them into the Red Sea. There remained not one locust in all the coast of Egypt. And the Lord hardened Chezak. Pharaoh's heart, so that he would not let the children of Israel go. So he's reversed again. He's gone back the other way. And again, I, I put in these different words hardened because Moses is expressing something. That word hardened also means strong. It doesn't necessarily mean fattened or increased. Uh, it is actually translated repair sometimes or strengthened. Or hardened 13 times. I mean, it appears over almost 300 times. 
prevail, encourage, take, lots of different ways. But so this, but it's a different word, and that's why I'm pointing it out. And he's expressing a slightly different idea there concerning the heart of the Pharaoh. But he all of a sudden, this now he's strengthening the idea that I'm not going to let him go. I changed my mind again. <laughs> Not, not a good plan. This guy is so wishy-washy. This is a sign of somebody who is a spoiled brat. He doesn't have any honor. He hasn't. It takes humility to have honor. You know, this is why marriages often break up. Is that they don't honor their commitment. Marriage is a commitment. It's not a license. You know, to marry is a commitment. To love, honor, and cherish to death do you part. I see these women who have. You know, multiple, you know, there was somebody had nine children by six different men in her life. And, you know, Jordan Peterson has a speech that he gives about this, one of those short clips talking about, you know, that this is crazy. This is insane. You're destroying yourself and you're destroying those nine kids. Because they're not going to see what a family really should be. They're not going to see the self-sacrifice. They're not... They're not going to uh, fatten the heart of their children because they don't keep a commitment. And, and they, you have to do that or you will destroy yourself and destroy your children, whether it's nine or it's one. You're setting the example of someone who does not keep a commitment to an individual. You know, it says in sickness or in health, to death do his part. That's a commitment. That's not until it's uncomfortable or till I blow my top or till I get upset. It's a commitment. And if you don't make that commitment, you'll be on the same road that Pharaoh is on, which is a road to destruction. So these, these same principles apply everywhere in, in our lives. So so he's, he's strengthened in his inhumility. In, in his resolve not to do the right thing. And he's justified in his own mind, in his own heart. And he would not let the people go. He would not do the right thing. He'd not do, and the right thing was determined by what he said he would do. And now he's saying something different. You say you love, honor, and cherish until death do his part, but then you don't do that. That's on you. That's on you. And you will take that with you and you will pass that down to your sons and your daughters. The Pharaoh said unto him, Get thee from me. Take heed to thyself. Before he was calling them to come. Now he's saying, Get ye from me. Why? Did Moses do something different? No. Pharaoh did something different. Pharaoh is changing the dynamic because he is not honoring his word. And so now it's going to get worse. The original agreement, that's that's gone. That's gone and done away with. Now there's going to be new terms. Take heed to thyself. See my face no more. For in the day thou seest my face, thou shalt die. Remember, as you judge... So shall ye be judged. You, you know, if you, you say that, you know, to somebody, I'm going to have you arrested. Well, uh, in order to get even with him. 
you know, to, to, you, I'm going to use the Pharaoh's police against you. I'm going to, I'm going to trump up charges against you and destroy your life. You've threatened that. Guess what? As you judge, so shall you be judged. So saith the Lord, so be it. That's, that's going to be the deal. Now we're in verse 29, ninth of the last of this chapter. And Moses said, Thou hast spoken well. I will see thy face again no more. In other words, when he says spoken well, he's actually talking about you have prophesied what is going to happen to you. You have prophesied. You have judged yourself by your own statement. You know, you have spoken well. That is actually the the word that we see there in the Hebrew is debar uh, ta. You have spoken. The sound ta. That's from the letter ta again. <laughs> uh, it's it's delit uh, bit resh tav. As you judge, so shall you be judged. You will not see my face again. That's what that's what he's saying to the Pharaoh. And so the the next plague is out of his own mouth. That's that's the way it's going to be taking place. Is out of his own mouth the next plague shall come, which is a, a plague of death. And of course we're going to need some sort of protection against this. So the people are going to need to know what to do. And you know that that brings us into Exodus 11, which is a really short. Yeah, we might be able to get a Exodus 11 in the last half hour. Uh, and it has to do with the firstborn. You know, one plague more. The last plague. But um, just to review this 10, so we have it clear, is that Pharaoh's heart is being hardened because he's reacting to what God is saying. Uh, God is speaking to you right now. It's not not in my voice. He's speaking to you in your heart and in your mind right now. But are you listening to him? And of course, that goes to what uh, Dennis Prager will fail to explain to <laughs> Jordan Peterson later on when he asked him about this frontal thing in in between his eyelids, and he will explain it in the typical pharisaical fashion. And he will miss the whole point. He, he he will not share with him because it's maybe not shared with him in his own heart. I know he could probably give a more profound answer, but the answer he gave was wholly inadequate. The same as Ben Shapiro, also a, a, a Jew, uh, and and I I'm just using them as they're predominant in, in the news. But the same problem is amongst the, the Christians and the Catholics and the Jehovah Witnesses and the Buddhists and the Muslims. As the idea that they think, oh, yeah, we have to have a social safety net. I've heard him say that. But if you have a social safety net based on force by men who exercise authority, it, it is deceitful meats. It will degenerate your society. It will bring you into a rigorous bondage. Now, you're already in a bondage because of FDR. And you need to repent of the, that covetous practice before your eyes will be opened. 
And the Israelites, because of that rigor and the difficulty and the abortion and the killing of their own children, that many of them began to to repent. I, I also recall that Dennis was talking about the Holocaust, and uh, and and his. We'll we'll cover that when we get into those verses where he talks about it. But the reality is is that millions upon millions upon millions of children, innocent children, as innocent as a child could be, a fetus in the womb of their mothers, is being destroyed. Do you think there will not be repercussions from that? If we judge that okay, do you think there will not be repercussions? How many of those people who have fought for the right to murder the child in their womb, when destruction comes, they will all be crying out. But who will hear them? Did they hear the cries in their own womb? No. Oh, the repercussions of this are coming. And their cries will fall on deaf ears the same as the cries in their own womb fell on deaf ears. They have bred a society of selfishness. They, they will not escape that. We live in a cause and effect universe. In verse 3 we see the word, How long will you refuse to humble thyself before me? Which is, Maite, how long? And Mimtav Yad. Mianta, will you refuse? Uh, which is actually also appears as Mem Elef Nun Tav. So we're seeing these Tavs showing up. And then to humble yourself. not, Which is Lamad Ian Nun Tav. Uh, before me. Mem Pia Nun Yad. All these words... Are, are, we're finding these extra toffs. This is a statement of faith. And the faith brings us to the gimel, which is the cause and effect. But we're going to take another break, and then we'll come back, and maybe we will tackle Exodus 11 in 15 minutes. We'll be right back. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So, let's take a look at Exodus 11, see if we can get to that. It's really a short, short chapter. There's only like 10 verses in it. It's an important chapter, and it will leave the door wide open for Exodus 12, which starts to pass over. And that was quite a struggle, listening to Jordan and and his uh, scholars talking about 12, because... There is a huge amount of, this is where we'll find a, a divergence, uh, that leads people away from the real message of Moses is in not understanding things like the Passover, uh, not understanding things like unleavened bread, not understanding, uh, these symbols that he is throwing out. And, and that, that chapter 12, that is a, that is a much bigger chapter and, uh, you know, it it covers forty uh, some verses, and uh, it has to do with this institution of the Passover. And so, we will ha- we already have a lot of articles that will lead us into uh, deeper understanding of what the Passover is, and uh, maybe we'll have some time to talk about it. But let's get to these ten verses and get to this. Also, on the 
on our page at preparingyou.com, you can go through the same uh, chapter 10 of Exodus. And I have there the admonishments that people were, which is that uh, Egyptian uh, servant of a pharaoh, and some believe it is the pharaoh at the time of the plagues, and he, I quote several places from what is left of the scroll that has survived down that he wrote. But he's one of those guys who who just thought, we should have just killed all the Israelites when they first came here. <laughs> we just should have just annihilated them, just murdered them all. Because they have these goofy ideas of, you know, living by faith, hope, and charity and all. Now, they didn't have those ideas all at the time. You remember, they went into bondage because they sold their brother into bondage. When you sign up for a system of social welfare, a social safety net, where men who exercise authority are going to force your neighbor to contribute, are you not selling your brother into bondage? Are you not judging that your brother should be in bondage to men who exercise authority so that you can have free stuff? Are you not setting the law? As you judge, so shall ye be judged. That you should go into bondage. And then this becomes, the bondage becomes more rigorous and more rigorous and more rigorous. And you curse your children with that rigor. Understanding that principle. Understanding that cause and effect. In that relationship. With your government, with your neighbor will help you in understanding your relationship with your spouses and with your children. Because you're the pharaoh of your household. That's where Moses is leading the people. They will be free souls under God and they will suffer under the tyranny or the love of the fathers of each household. People people want to get away from that. Because supposedly men, you know, toxic masculinity has been destroying women for generations upon generations. Nonsense. They used to work as a team. That's a, survival was difficult. They worked as a team. In a family. And the husband sacrificed himself for his wife. And his wife gladly sacrificed herself. And she woken in, awakened in him. I shouldn't say woken. <laughs> awakened in him. The spirit of caring for her. And the children. He was changed by the relationship. Because it's not right that man be alone. And the more woman a woman is, a, a woman, that's the big question these days floating around. What's a woman? A woman is a man with a womb. In order to have that womb, hormones are secreted in her body when she's still in the womb herself. And then later as she develops, so that she may be the vessel for the next generation. And it becomes the man's obligation to protect that vessel. That principle has repeated itself over and over and over and over and over again in creation. We see it amongst almost every creature on the face of the earth to one degree or another. But now the Pharaoh has chosen to say that if I see your face again, you're going to die. I'm going to kill you. I'm going to cane you. You know, like Cain and Nimrod. 
Uh, my authority is going to take the life from you. But of course, Moses was the rightful Pharaoh. So you just condemned yourself, Pharaoh. But he doesn't see it. Because he's blinded by the darkness. Not blinded by the light. He hates the light. He's blinded by the darkness. Don't let yourself be blinded by the darkness. Don't run from the light. And so let's shed some light. Verse 1. And the Lord said unto Moses, Yet will I bring one plague more upon the Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Afterwards, he will let you go hence. When he shall let you go, he shall surely thrust you out hence all together. This was necessary because the people of Israel still weren't ready for freedom. Just like the people of Oregon, the people of Australia, the people of New Zealand, they're not ready for freedom. If they if they were set free, it'd be total chaos. They're not ready for freedom. You have to work, walk, seek liberty under God. Or otherwise, you're, you won't be ready for it because it's a gift. You're it's not like you're going to earn it. It's not like you're going to get really skilled at it. You cannot get skilled at it unless you allow God to humble your heart and you approach this as, I want to serve God. And of course, the way to serve God is to serve one another. So verse 2, Speak now in the ears of the people and let every man borrow of his neighbor and every woman of her neighbor jewels of silver and jewels of gold. We'll, we'll visit that in the side panel. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt in the sight of Pharaoh's servants and in the sight of the people. So now, Pharaoh's servants, we, we've talked about who they are, and the people are starting to say, like, this Moses guy, this guy's something else. They're they're impressed with him, just like men were impressed with Christ. Didn't mean that they were all going to repent, but they're impressed with him. That's the pathos that the Greeks talk about. We have an article on that. That isn't the logos. Again, they're speaking into the ears of the people. The people aren't having it written yet in their hearts and their minds. But they're supposed to go to their neighbors and borrow, we'll look at that word borrow, of their neighbors. And they had this favor in the eyes of the Egyptians. And Moses said, Thus saith the Lord, about midnight will I go out into the midst of Egypt. The Lord is going to go out about midnight. And all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of the Pharaoh that sitteth upon his throne, even unto the firstborn of the maid servants that is behind the mill, and all the firstborn of beasts, of animals. And there shall be a great cry throughout all of the land of Egypt, such as there was none like it, nor shall be like it any more. Uh, but against any of the children of Israel shall not a dog move his tongue against man or beast that ye may know how that the Lord doth put 
a difference between the Egyptians and Israel. And of course, Israel there is, is those people who wrestle with God. Where do you wrestle with God? In your heart and in your mind. And it is only Israel when you, when God prevails in your heart and your mind. And the Egyptians, those people who want to go on their own and, you know, are, are comfortable with bondage and covet, comfortable with the covetous practices. There's a difference between those people and the people who have come to grips with God's way, which is the way of faith, hope, and charity. Verse 8, And all these thy servants shall come down unto me and bow down themselves unto me, saying, Get thee out and all the people that follow thee, and after that I will go out. And he went out from Pharaoh in a great anger. And we may look at that word anger there. Because I don't think Moses was angry. I think he was adamant. I think he was forceful. I think he was direct. He was clear. He was in control. He wasn't upset, blubbering, like, oh, I'm just ticked at that Pharaoh. Guy, now, uh, it if we look at those words in the Hebrew, it means something than just anger. And the Lord said unto Moses, Pharaoh shall not hearken unto you, that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. And Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before the Pharaoh. And the Lord hardened Shazak, Pharaoh's heart, so that he would not let the children of Israel go out of his land. Probably the way in which Moses left Pharaoh, charged him, threatened him, went out. Pharaoh dug in his heels even more became strengthened in his resolve not to do the right thing. And again, you have to go back and listen to the earlier shows about me and my cousin, how it's it's there's no greater psychologist than the Lord. So anyway, the basic idea here is that they're going to be thrust out. They probably would not have gone out at one time. I pointed this out before that that if they were just saying, okay, you can all go, there would be guys making excuses. Well, I can't go this time, but I'll I'll go next time, or I'll catch up with you in a couple of days. But I got a calf here is about to calve, and uh, I'll wait till the calf comes, and then then and then I'll come out and join you guys. No, they got they're not organized yet. They they don't have the social bonds which have connected a free society that are needed to connect a free society. You don't have them either. Your constitution doesn't give them to you. Your churches don't give them to you. Your doctrines don't give you those social bonds. What gives you those social bonds is if you sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands like God commanded, like Christ commanded, and you start taking care of one another through a daily ministration based entirely on faith, hope, and charity with no social safety net from men who exercise authority one over the other like Ben Shapiro said we needed. Now, I think if he hears this, he might repent of that. He might see the truth. And that's my hope. I'm not picking on the guy. I, I think the world of him. 
as same as I think the world of a lot of people, a lot of men and women I know who are destroying their lives, ruining their lives because they they they're they're bipolar, they're depressed, they got PTSD, they get they're full of fear, they're full of anxiety, all these things. All these things go away when you start sitting down and fulfilling your commitment to love your neighbor as yourself instead of covet your neighbor's goods. If you were to go that way, the other way, not the way of covetousness, but the way of sacrifice, organized sacrifice, organized love for one another. If you were to do that, your PTSD, your bipolarism, your fits of temper would start to go away. Your depression would start to go away. Because you would be asphalting in the highway of life. Filling in those ruts that keep, you know, like somebody, bipolar people, they love you, they love you, they're sweet, they think you're great, uh, they think you're wonderful, and then all of a sudden they hate you. I hate you. I despise you. I want to destroy you. And then, and I love you again. They'll go back up to that. But uh, it's, it's, there's destroying themselves. And they're destroying their families. And they're destroying their children. And the answer is what Christ said. What Moses is going to be telling the people. It's going to be found in the Passover. So, when they're thrust out, in order to be before, just before they're thrust out, there's this institution of the Passover. I have a link there on that, that page before we get to uh, Exodus 12 which we'll cover it in much more depth. But Passover was a shared sacrifice of a lamb. And if they don't do that Passover, they will face the consequences. Just like they face the consequences, God gives you two trees. He gives you the tree of knowledge of good and evil, puts it right there in front of you, and he also gives you the tree of life. He gives you both trees. Yours to use, you can use both trees. But the tree of life has to be the source. And this is the temptation. Both trees are there and can be used. But you don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You eat of the tree of life. But, you know, when you do your laundry, you can hang your clothes in the tree of (laughs) knowledge of good and evil. (laughs) You can look at the, you can sit under the shade of the knowledge of good and evil. You just can't eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge you're going to eat. I always thought it was interesting. The Yule tree that was in England, and I'm not sure exactly how it's toxic, but it's supposed to be toxic, very poisonous, even to livestock and stuff. And uh, I, I don't know exactly what they eat. Do they eat the bark? Do they eat the leaves? Whatever it is. But that's where they get the strongbows. You know, the longbows. They make those longbows where they can shoot 200 yards an arrow. Uh, or at least a hundred yards. They can hit a target at a hundred yards with their longbows. That comes from the Yule tree. But you can't eat it. <laughs> so, so the trees are there. But if you eat of one, you have life. If you eat of the other, you have death. There's the consequences. So Passover. You can have Passover, and I can tell you all kinds of stories of people who had Passovers. Guys who were going back, becoming Messianic Jews, and they were going to start celebrating the Passover. You, you, shocking what they, <laughs> they killed the lamb, 
and they put it on a, a fire with the wool still on it and the guts still on it. The, the Passover lamb, they were supposed to kill it in the evening and prepare it. Well, the prepare it means you have to clean out the intestines. You have to get the, all the feces out of the intestines, clean them out. You have to literally turn them inside and out and wash them. And probably over in a garden or someplace uh, where the manure will go down into the soil. And then you have to bundle it all up again and stick it back in the lamb and sew it back up again. Because <laughs> you have to roast it whole. You, you, the Muslims, they get to cut it up. As a matter of fact, it's interesting, the Muslims, I don't think this was original, but somehow or other this has become the custom. When you have this sacrifice, and, and in Michigan, they want to be able to have this sacrifice in their backyards. I guess there's an actual ordinance that they're trying to pass, which is fine. I don't have any problem with that. But they they have to cut up the meat and deliver it to the poor because they know still that this sacrifice is to help take care of the needy and the poor and to eat a meal together. They understand that. But they have to cut it up and deliver it to the poor before they can eat one bite of it. But see, the Passover, you actually have to invite the poor into your house. <laughs> we'll, we'll see that in greater detail. It, the Passover is a, a ritual of shared sacrifice. That's not what you got going on. If you are dependent upon legal charity, you're dependent upon me, people, who exercise authority, who will go in and cut the flesh and blood out of your neighbor so that you can have free stuff. That's the principle you're following. If that doesn't lead to paranoia and schizophrenia and bipolarism and depression, I don't know what will. That There is the seed of your depression. You want the cure? Go the other way. Establish a society based on faith, hope, and charity. Real faith, hope, and charity, not token charity. While you still eat at the table of Pharaoh. No, you're not going to be able to eat at the table of Pharaoh if you want to be set free. If you just want to say, I like the table in Idaho better than I like the table in Salem. (laughs) You're still going to be in bondage. Verse 2, the word borrow there. I said we would visit that. We have a couple more minutes yet. The word there is the word shawl. Which is Shin Elif Lamad. That's normally the way that word is set up. And it means to ask. It doesn't mean to actually borrow like you go to a bank and borrow. It, and that you're going to have to pay back. You you go and ask. And to say borrow, we say the word borrow and we think, well, we borrow, we have to pay this back. No. You go and ask of them. That's really what the word shawl means. But they did add a bunch of letters to the word Shin Elif Lamad. They have Vav, Yad, Shen, Elif, Lamad, Vav. Two extra Vavs and a Yad. Yad is what? Spark of life. It is the relationship of man and God. And that's where the spark of life comes. That's what makes a man a man, is that Yad. He should use that Yad and then live by faith, which is the top. But the Yad is that spark of life. But this word has a vav at both ends. This means, doesn't mean borrow in the sense of borrow and I'll pay you back. It means to give up entirely. And uh, 
again, like we'll see uh, a similar use of this, or we did back in Exodus 3.22. We saw the word uh, Shin Elif Lamad with a Vav at the beginning and a He at the end. But in this case, we see Vav Yad at the beginning added and Vav at the end. So this is completely gave. And it's a, it's a completely different word than a lot of people realize. We also talk about, uh, on the side panel, I, I look at this word gave, the Lord gave, is the same uh, word that we see Nathan, Nun, Tov, Nun, meaning gave, which we saw in Exodus 2.21 appearing in the text as Wayitin, which is Vav, Yad, Tov, Vav. So, what happened to all the Nuns? You had Nun, Tov, Nun, Supposed to mean gave, but here we have vav, yad, tav, vav. So you still have the tav there, but you have, again, that vav, yad, vav, which we saw at the beginning of the word borrow and at the end of the word borrow. So there's a connection there. You can contemplate these things. You can go to preparing you and look at these things. I have footnotes there so you can look at it and just ponder it. But ultimately what you're going to have to do is figure out what this frontal thing is between the eyes and start listening to God in your heart and in your mind and start doing. You have to be a doer. Christ says, not enough to say, Lord, Lord. Yeah, I believe, I believe. But you have to become a doer. And you have to bow down to this God we're supposed to serve in the wilderness, which the way you do that is you serve one another. You have to have that shared sacrifice. All this is repeated over and over again in this message because either you're going towards the yoke of bondage or you're living according to the perfect law of liberty. And if you're not living according to the perfect law of liberty... You're going to end up in bondage. And if you want to be set free, you have to start living that way. That means you have to come together to gather to care about others as much as you care about yourself. And eventually you have to extend this out from your own little congregation where you're caring about congregations you never even met. You're casting your bread upon the waters in hopes that it comes back to you. Otherwise, it's not real faith. It's a mutual admiration society, a little clique group where everybody rubs, you know, I scratch your back, you scratch my back. No, the kingdom of God is about extending that love out through the universe in real ways, in real physical ways. So that it's not just your words, but your foot is actually traveling towards the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And we mentioned the word foot there, the people that follow thee, is, is the people whose feet follow thee, who actually do what you say. Christians aren't Christians because they say they're Christians. They're Christians because they are doers of the word. That's what it says in James. Maybe that's why Martin Luther wanted to take James, the book of James, out of the Bible. But we're not going to do that. We're going to keep it in there. So anyway, join us on the network at preparingyou.com or hisholychurch.org. Uh, and until then, peace on your house and may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, 
Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.